Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Kylie Camps, and welcome to the podcast. This space is dedicated entirely to making a difference in the lives of women. I believe we all have a right and a responsibility to truly live our best lives. It all begins with curiosity, changing our thinking, and cultivating more self love. Through thoughtful conversations and shared experiences, I really hope that you can take something away from this podcast. I'm a business owner, a speaker, a sleep consultant, and mum of twin boys. I've also recently completed some training in the cognitive behavioral therapy space, and I'm super, super passionate about the ability that we all have to really improve our days. And ultimately, when we take ownership of improving our days, we're really improving our whole life. So let's get stuck into today's episode. Welcome to episode number 74. Today's podcast is an extra special guest. Her name is Georgia and Georgia is a friend of mine, but she's also a former employee. She was with us from the very, very beginning as head of customer support. And I have to say it was such a sad, sad day the day that we had to let Georgia go. Well, actually, she chose to let us go because she knew she was on the path to a different career. And it's a career that we're exploring today a little bit. We can't go into specifics because of confidentiality reasons and whatnot. But Georgia used to work with us and she left for a role working in child safety. And so today the topic that we are exploring together is how to keep your kids safe from predators. And I know that's a topic that is not very appealing in a lot of ways. It can be quite an uncomfortable topic to think about and listen to and just, I guess, have on your radar, but it's one as parents and as carers, as aunts, as uncles that we do actually need to give some attention to and at least think about these things. So it's not um, it's not the sort of podcast where we go into all sorts of details of abuse or anything like that, but we do of course reference sexual abuse and ways in which you can keep your children hopefully safe, some ways at least. And so I hope that this conversation is valuable for you. It might not be for everyone and that is okay. But I do take my job as a parent seriously and I think that a lot of you do as well. And the more, I guess, that we are educated and conscious and aware, the better when it comes to keeping our children safe. So, this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. The audio at the beginning is not brilliant, but I think it's worth pushing through because there may just be something in there that is helpful for you. 
So as always, let me know what you think of this podcast episode would mean a lot to me if right now, before you even get stuck into it, if right now you quickly take a screenshot on your phone, pop it on your Instagram stories, tag me at Kylie Camp so that I can see that honestly is really, really helpful for me. And right now, given everything that's going on in the world, um, this podcast being completely independent is something that is important to me. So I would appreciate you spreading the word. And without further ado, please enjoy my chat with Georgia, aka (laughs) G-Bang. That's what I used to call her. And I definitely miss her. I love her so, so much. She is an absolute star with the work that she is doing in the world. And I'm honored to call her a friend. So please enjoy this episode. My beautiful Georgia, thank you so much for making time over the weekend to have this chat with me. I really, really no appreciate worries. it. No worries. It's good to sort of be back in the gang. <laughs> it's so nice to hear your voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I would love to just explore this topic with you because you spoke about it so well in our Toddler Life Forum and we had so much amazing feedback on this topic. And it's one that whilst I'm definitely not an expert in the area, it's a topic that I feel, I guess, a little bit of obligation to speak about because I do have a community of parents who listen. And this is a topic that parents need to be aware of, even though it can be an uncomfortable one. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's one that, you know, for a lot of reasons, isn't spoken about openly, which, you know, is absolutely understandable. No one wants to wants to think about it, but it is so important because it comes up, you know, daily. You know, we see it on the news a lot as well at the moment. So, yeah, super important. And so just to give our listeners a bit more scope on who you are and what it is that you do, could you share with us a little bit about you, about yourself and your current role? Absolutely. So I'm Georgia. Um, I currently reside um, up the sunny coast way with my partner and beautiful stepdaughter. Um, I have a Bachelor of Psychological Science um, and currently work for the Department of Child Safety, Youth and Women um, and also currently studying midwifery. So, yeah. So you've got a bit on. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, a busy bee. (laughs) I love that. And I know that your role is super, super demanding in so many ways. And so I do appreciate you carving out the space over your weekend to delve into this topic that I'm sure at times you just wish you could kind of escape from. So thank you again. (laughs) And so in this conversation, Georgia and I really want to touch on five key areas that all parents should be mindful of and so in terms of keeping our children safe from predators these are the things that we wanted to touch on first and foremost the importance of naming body parts correctly absolutely um and I think it's you know like I think there are lots of different you know names for things like vaginas and penises and stuff and you know I think it's it's not necessarily a bad thing to for your child to have a different name for them but I think it's super important for them to know you know the biological name for a vagina and for a penis and to understand I guess you know where it is and generally what it's used for as well 
um, I mean, I know it's, it's a conversation that me and Kylie have had a couple of times as well, um, you know, about our own kids and things. Um, but it's, you know, for, for purposes of, you know, children being able to just tell you, hey, there's, you know, there's something wrong with my vagina or my penis. Um, but also, you know, if, you know, the worst case scenario happens, being able to actually explain, you know, what, what happened to that area um, and stuff as well is really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that for a lot of parents, they can find it uncomfortable to do mm. that. If they didn't, if they didn't grow up in a household where they would use the correct terminology for their genitals, it yeah. can feel a bit confronting for them to teach their kids that, you know, an arm is an arm, a knee is a knee, a penis is a penis and a vagina is yeah. a vagina. Yeah. But it's so important because if we're giving our body parts nicknames, that can make it a bit tricky for our kids to communicate with us should the unthinkable happen. Absolutely. So that's and why. I, sorry, and I was just going to say, and I think what, what we do know about, um, you know, child sexual abuse and things like that is that, um, you know, we'll call them predators, um, that they do tend to use, um, you know, non-biological terms for, for genitals. Um, that sort of helps. I guess, with things like secrecy and also helps to sort of navigate around being able to have, you know, inappropriate conversations with children, perhaps while people are around as well. Um, so that's that's really important for that instance as well. But if, you know, you also know that if your child knows, you know, the correct terms and starts to use a different term, that can also be a bit of an indicator that, you know, maybe needing to check in to see what's happening for them as well. Yes, absolutely. Because often with predators and grooming, it can start as things like tickling. And so it could move yeah. from, you know, tickling your tummy to tickling your, you know, what's a, a pet name that someone might call their genitals. Like a like flower your, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or your ninny or whatever it is. Yeah. And then if yeah. you notice that your child's now referring to their vagina as a ninny, that's like, okay, where did they pick up mm. that terminology? It's yep, just absolutely. interesting. Mm. And even so much so that like my, my, one of my boys the other day used the word balls for his testicles <laughs> yep. and I'm sure you can guess exactly which child that was. Yep. And I said to him, oh, where did you hear that? Where did you hear that? Because, you know, we've always called them his testicles. Mm. And so it just allowed me to have a conversation with him and know that he had had an interaction with his friends talking about being kicked in the balls and that's where he learnt that word. But yeah. it just sort of allowed that conversation to open up, which I think is so important. And it's the same thing again, and, you know, this might be a different topic, but, you know, when your sons do have erections, it's calling them erections. Yeah, and it's absolutely. like saying that's, that is what it is and that's normal. That's what your body yeah. does and that's fine. Yeah. Um so, yeah, it's really, really important that we do teach our children the correct names and that we call them by the correct terminology. Absolutely. Now, the next one that we wanted to touch on is, yes, it's important to teach your children about stranger danger and being aware of people that they don't know. But perhaps even more importantly, Georgia, it's about teaching your kids about red flag feelings and the fact that it's not always going to be about strangers mm, we can have red flag feelings and we can be uncomfortable and there can be people in our life that we know that are not safe and so teaching yeah. your kids how to identify if someone they know is unsafe yeah and I think I guess you know the statistics and what we sort of know um 
you know, about, you know, I guess how children are sexually abused and how sort of those events come to come into light um, is that, you know, currently in Australia, it's about 10 to 15 um, percent of child sexual abuse occurs by a stranger. So when you think about that, you know, if you look at 90 to 85 to 90 percent of sexual abuse occurs um, to a child by someone that they know. Um, so that can be a really confronting figure for a lot of people. Um, and I guess, you know, in the media, we hear about lots of, you know, horrible events where, you know, children are perhaps picked up, um, you know, walking from home or things like that. But what we do know is that those events, you know, while are, are incredibly traumatic and really scary, are in the minority of what of what happens. Um, you know, so I think it's being mindful about, you know, the idea of someone known to the child, what, what, that, look, what, what that looks like. Um, you know, the most common perpetrators are, you know, people who not, aren't necessarily a family member, but, you know, are seen as family friends or neighbours or, or, you know, people who would have sort of, I guess, access to your child in, in that respect. Um, so incredibly scary to think about, but really important to know that that's, you know, really where the risk lies. Absolutely. And you're so right, because we all hear these horror stories that make it to the news, you know, and of course, stories like William Tyrrell and Daniel Morecambe mm. and things like that come straight to the forefront of my brain. And yeah. that is something that as a parent, you automatically want to safeguard your children against, you know, mm. you teach them that if they're at the park, be mindful of strangers, you don't hop in cars with strangers. But yeah. when you actually lay the statistics out like that, and you go, holy shit, 85 to 90% of you know incident I don't even know the right terminology mm. of abuse 85 yeah. to 90% of abuse happens from someone that the child recognizes and knows yeah that's why it's so important that we empower our kids to know boundaries regardless yeah. of whether it's a stranger or someone mm -hmm. who is known to them so what are some ways that you would encourage parents to help their kids identify those red flag feelings yeah. So I think um, before you sort of touched on the idea around, you know, the difference between, I guess, you know, probably what we all grow up with, you know, the stranger danger, um, but teaching teaching children about tricky adults or tricky people, um, I think is really important. I guess what, what we know is that, you know, as, as adults, we all know that, you know, not everybody's good in the world. Um, you know, we see it on the news, we saw that stuff as well. So we are quite quite aware of it. But I think, you know, part of part of our role as parents is we do try to shelter our children from a lot of the information, which, you know, I think is appropriate. But we also need to be pro providing our children with, you know, protective behaviours that one, you know, allows them to understand that, hey, not all adults are safe and not all, ba all bad people, um, you know, are the ones that they see on movies and TV shows and cartoons as well. Um, you know, I know that if you asked your boys or, you know, you, you, they could very quickly point out who a baddie is in a movie or a cartoon or a book, you know, they're they have so stereotypically obvious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, little things is, you know, when you are watching cartoons and stuff, speaking to your children about, hey, what, what makes that person the baddie? What are the actions that they do and the things that they say that make them not, you know, not nice or not kind? Um, I think it's important, but also understanding and educating your children to trust what their body is telling them. I think a lot of the time um, we tend to underestimate um, that, you know, what children pick up and perceive. And I think it's really important to actually allow children, you know, from as long, young as possible to really trust what their body is telling them and allowing them the space to sort of hone in about, about those things. So, you know, I know that when we spoke in the um, the forum, we spoke about sort of red flag feelings. Um, so they're ones that, you know, that are, I guess, 
you know, as adults, we would label as, you know, fear or anxiety or just that gut feeling that you say, hey, something's not quite right here. Children have the same. Um, I guess sometimes they don't have a really, you know, the outside knowledge to understand, hey, why am I feeling this way? Um, you know, sweaty palms is a really easy one for children to, to know. Um, you know, the butterfly feeling in their stomach, I guess we would sort of label that as anxiety. Um, is really important, but also it feeds into the idea of, um, you know, the fight, flight and freeze responses as well. You know, your child may feel uncomfortable and, and want to run. You know, they might not know why, but they may be, you know, zooming off away from um, a situation. Some children will remain in that situation and sort of be unable to move. Um, and then other children will obviously sort of gear up to sort of really sort of, you know, approach, I guess, the situation to keep themselves um safe so I think it's yeah just that real education around trusting your body but then also as parents if a child says hey I'm not comfortable or starts to show some of those signs that you pick up on that and then you allow that the space for that child to feel safe again um you know regardless of whether it's with someone that they know you know or someone that they don't know absolutely and I think that's such a key thing to remember as parents if we're not having these conversations with our children about the fact that not all adults are safe, it would be very easy for our kids to just given the resources that they have at hand, at hand whether that's books, TV, whatever, movies, conversations mm-hmm. with their friends, play fighting and all of that stuff, it would be very easy for them to assume that the baddie is always obvious, you yeah. know. The villain is obvious. So we need to make sure that our kids know not all adults are safe adults and if they do have that feeling within themselves that it's okay and that they they can trust that feeling as well. And I think to explaining to them a couple of ways to identify if an mm-hmm. adult is safe or not. So things like, um, you know, and we've spoken about this before, but just between you and I, like we need to teach our kids that a safe adult is not going to ask a child for help. Yeah. Absolutely. So a lesson, a big lesson that we sort of have in our household and one I use actually with, you know, the children I have contact with at work is the idea that, you know, safe adults will ask another adult for help. Um, you know, so, and I guess, you know, it's also teaching the children, for example, you know, like I might request my stepdaughter to help put away the shopping, you know, and so like that, that interaction's fine. But if we're walking down the street and, you know, perhaps you know, I, my attention's diverted and another adult were to come up to her and say, hey, I need help because, you know, my dog is sick or something. She knows that that's actually not an appropriate person asking for help. Um, you know, so really honing in on the message that adults will ask other adults for help and then, you know, identifying perhaps some instances where that, that might not be the case, you know, regarding safe adults that you know. So, you know, yourself, your partner, your, you know, your parents or anything like that as well. And there's a really great book that we have for the boys and it's called Hey Warrior or Hey Mm. Warrior and it's about teaching children about their amygdala which is basically obviously that fight, flight, freeze response. So teaching your kids about that as well so that if they feel that come over their body they can identify that as a red flag. So say for example an adult that they trust has asked them to do something that they don't want to do or they feel Mm -hmm. uncomfortable with going oh my gosh my amygdala is telling me my warrior is telling me that I need to run or I need to freeze or whatever it is just noticing those red flag feelings 
And having those conversations surrounding other areas in life can just make it a little bit easier to touch on. Yeah. And I think, you know, like, I think we look at this as serving a purpose while our children are sort of a young and I guess under the age of 18, but it does have the flow on effects of being able to teach children about what, you know, having those boundaries for themselves about what they find appropriate. And I guess, you know, when they're of an age consensual and also teaching them about their behaviours, about, you know, understanding that people will have different boundaries to them as well. So it's not, it's not just in the dynamic of, you know, an adult to child, but also in the dynamics of children to children as well, because what we do know is that there are, um, you know, there is actually big, big, um, period of research that's happening at the moment um, that's sort of suggesting that one third of reported sexual abuse actually occurs by another child. Um, so that would be someone under the age of 18. Um, normally there are, you know, big age differences and things like that, but it's important that, you know, that it happens, that we know that it happens with obviously adult and children, but also happens between children and children as well. And then even when it's happening between child and child and there's not a big age group, Mm. yeah a big age bracket and it might be considered more as exploration or just Mm. I don't know just under just teaching your kids that when they have that feeling come over them that red flag that's a time to go and tell their parents yeah and I think a lot of the time you know like an example that I used when I spoke to the, the total life forum was around you know when a child doesn't want to show physical affection say to their auntie you know and they they don't want to allowing and respecting that decision instead of sort of forcing oh you know go on give them a kiss give them a hug because that that repeated message sort of breaks down your child's confidence and actually acting on that response um Mm. and then so perhaps you know then it's the risk of you know if a stranger asks for that same physical affection that a child doesn't feel like they can say no so I think sometimes we really need to be the voice for our children but also help them find their voice and be really confident in sort of labeling that and and being confident saying no and then having that no respected. Absolutely. And just whilst we're still on the point in regards to stranger danger, Mm. also teaching your kids that you will not ever send someone they don't know to pick them up from school. You know, just having that clear conversation or you're never going to send someone they don't know well to Mm. collect them from the park or anything like that. And I've read articles where, families will have code words Mm -hmm. and so you know if that a child was in that situation where someone approaches them and says hey little Johnny mum and dad sent me to come and get you from the park and I'm going to walk you home or I'm here to pick you up from the bus stop or whatever it is having a really obscure code word can be helpful Absolutely. And just little practical things as well as, you know, when you're labelling your child's school uniform, hats, bags and things like that, having the labels not visible to the outside is really important. As you can imagine, you know, if your child's walking down a street and, you know, their their name, first name, last name in big bold letters is on their bag and then, you know, or, or a contact number as well, that can be sort of an in for um, I guess predators as well so being really mindful about where your child's name and those details are obviously you know we need to name things and things like that but you know can it be sort of maybe on the inside of the hat or on the inside of the bag or a tag that's you know on the inside is really important. Absolutely I was listening to a crime podcast not too long ago and it was saying you know a man approached a a student and because her name was in bold letters across the front Mm. of her book 
he was able to identify her and call her by name, which of course breaks down a bit of a trust barrier because the child's not necessarily going to go, oh, they've read this. They've read that on my backpack or the back of my shirt or whatever it is. But that, you know, it creates some sort of familiarity and breaks down that barrier to at least engage them in dialogue, I guess. So that's another great one is to not, you know, not have their name super, super bold out there. Um, We spoke about the importance of empowering our kids and I think that empowering them to know that they can yell, scream, hit, run Mm. and say no and also come to you and, like Mm. you said, put that barrier in place of going, you know what, if they don't want to give their grandpa a hug, if they don't want to give their auntie a kiss, that is fine. We empower our children to be the bosses of their body. Yeah. And it comes in, I guess, to, you know, understanding who a tricky adult may be as well is, is, is the language around, you know, a safe adult's not going to force you to show physical affection. Um, you know, obviously wording that in a way that's appropriate to the age of, of you know, the, the child. But, you know, a safe adult isn't someone that's going to force you to do something you don't want to do. Um, it isn't going to force you to, you know, keep secrets and things like that is really important. Um, even on that, some of the language around, you know, we don't have secrets, but we can have surprises, um, you know. So the idea that a secret is something that only you and, you know, potentially one other person will know. Um, and the idea that there's maybe a consequence of them saying or speaking about, you know, the content of that secret. A surprise is, is more so in, the, in respect, you know, someone will know. Um, it's just about when that will happen, you know. So a surprise, for example, is a, is a birthday present. So saying to your child, you know, this is a surprise for, you know, daddy or mummy, um, you know, when it's their birthday as opposed to, you know, we're, we're going to keep this a secret. Um, I think it's just another sort of really practical language tool. Yeah, I love that. And when it does come to teaching our kids to be defiant and yell and scream and hit and mm. run and say no if they have to, would you suggest you know, encouraging your kids to practice that language? I think so. And I think, you know, there are some children that have, you know, no hesitation in using their voice and their language and their body, you know, when they're uncomfortable. And there are other children who aren't, aren't confident. And I think giving the space of your child to to practice that, I think is really, really good. And, you know, being creative about how they do that. Is it in a game where, you know, perhaps, you know, it could be, I don't know, playing hide and seek or it could be, you know, playing tiggy or something like that and allowing them to have that really sort of overdramatic response at the end, I think allows them almost to, to practice that as well. You know, we, we all hope that they never have to use it, but, you know, in the case that, you know, perhaps they did, you know, they've got the skills and they've got that confidence to just really go for it, I think is important. Mm, absolutely. And we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but family rules, just having sort of as a family unit a couple of ro- a couple of rules mm-hmm. that are fundamental to the family and so we touched on having that language surrounding that we don't have secrets but surprises yeah. are okay because like you said you can you know have a surprise with someone about something and that that implicitly implies that that person will find out eventually but it's not having a secret from someone yeah Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think, you know, every every rule, I guess, book or, or page for each family will look different. 
Um, another one that I guess, um, you know, parents might be comfortable to implement is, you know, rules around who can see you undressed or, you know, who can assist you in bathing and changing and things like that, or, you know, toilet training as well as a big, a big um, stage for lots of kids to go through, um, you know, and, and in big families where there's lots of people, you know, in the house and hands on about really identifying those people, you know, so your child's secure and who they know is safe and, you know, um, to, to do those things. Um, can be really important you know for some it might just be mommy and daddy because that's you know that's the family network for others it might include sort of aunties and uncles as well but I think it's important just to label those so there isn't really any confusion for your child. Absolutely and a conversation that I've had with my two is about you know a family rule is that it's okay right now if they want to come in while I'm still having a shower and they're Mm -hmm. totally used to seeing me naked you know we've we've always had showers together and it's totally normal for them to sit and have a talk with their dad while he's in the shower and things like that so a family rule for us has been it's okay for you as kids to see mum and dad naked that's fine Mm -hmm. But it is a rule that you do not see other parents naked. You should not ever be in a position where you see another parent's penis or another parent's vagina. Like that's just a situation that you should not be in. So that's a family rule as well, Mm. Um, which it's just good to talk about it because if you have those conversations with your kids, it's giving them permission to come to you and say to you when something happens there's no mist mm. I guess it t- you know it takes the mystery out of it a bit yeah and I think as well you know if we look at say for example a bit, you know, a bit of a case study so you know a child who hasn't been provided I guess um those boundaries or family rules or you know the idea to sort of correctly um you know understand that a vagina is a vagina and a penis is a penis and you know who they belong to and things like that you know it's it's then you know if something is happening Um, and your child doesn't know who's safe to go to, Um, you know, perhaps it is someone that they know that this is, you know, that is perpetrating this behaviour on them and doesn't know the language to explain what's happening. It can be really, really hard for them to then say, hey, I need help. You know, if they don't know how to say, oh, well, you know, this person, you know, touched me here, if they don't have, you know, the words to say that and go, oh, you know, they touched my, I don't know, flower, and someone goes, well, you know, what's wrong with touching a flower? You know, everyone, you know, there's flowers in the garden and things like that. And it's really easy to oversight that. Whereas a child goes, hey, this person touched my penis. That really sort of rings off alarm bells for parents. And that's really going to grab your attention as well. Um, you know, so really being mindful about it does have impacts. Um, and it can be really important, not so much for a child just to understand for it, but for us adults to really understand what's going on. Because we can hear those words and go, hey, that, you know, that doesn't sound normal. And that doesn't sound like something that normally happens. Absolutely. And it also means that, you know, that family rule about you will never be in a position, it's, you know, it's a family rule to not be in a position where you Mm -hmm. see another adult's genitals. Mm -hmm. Then if they are in that position where they've been exposed to it, they're going to know that's against family rules and I'm safe to go and tell mum and dad that. Absolutely. Yeah. And opening that dialogue that you know, they are never at fault and they are not in trouble is really, really mm. important because what we know is that is that sexual abuse and abuse of all kinds really breeds in isolation and privacy and secretism. So we know that they, they're the big risk factors for it. And a lot of the times when we speak to even adult survivors of, of child sexual abuse, we know that one of the biggest hesitations for them telling someone is that they felt like they were in trouble. Um, you know, and I guess we what we know is that, you know, the adult 
who's perpetrating has a lot to lose. That's what we know. So we know that the extent and the language that they're going to use, you know, to the child, because we've got a really big, you know, power and control dynamic there as well, um, is they will may use language like, you know, I'm going to hurt you or hurt your mum or hurt your sister or, or things like that, you know, and for a child, that's incredibly scary. You know, that's a really big, well, maybe I shouldn't tell someone, but really educating your children that, hey, even if you feel like you, you've done something wrong or you're not sure, please tell me. You know, we can't always, I guess, you know, we can't always um, promise that we're not going to get in trouble, you know, if they've, I don't know, written all over the garage door or something, you know. But around that stuff, that if you're ever uncomfortable, you need to come and tell me and, it, you know, you're safe to do so um, is really, really important. Mm, and you're so right with what you just said about that example of, you know, if they've written on the garage door. There is such a correlation between being able to hold space for the truth without yeah. being, you know, overreacting or having mm-hmm. a harsh punishment. And I've shared this story before on social media, but when the boys were around three and a half, we had this instant instance where one of them kept pulling the curtains down off the wall. And I'd said so many times, don't pull the curtains down, don't pull the curtains down, don't pull the curtains down. And then one day he pulled the curtains down and I had this conversation with him and he was avoiding it. Nope, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And it took a long time to get it out of him. But when he finally Mm. said I did it, I gave him a big hug. And I said, Mm -hmm. thank you so much for telling mummy. I appreciate it. It's the wrong thing to do. And we're going to have a chat about it. But thank you for telling mummy. And I think if we just pepper those instances throughout their childhood where even if it's not the right thing that they've done, but they have made the choice to come to you with the truth or they've, mm. you've gotten the truth out of them eventually, it's to not make them feel bad about that. Yeah. And, it, you know, I mean, that that's I think that's a really good parenting thing, you know, regardless, but, you know, especially in terms, of, I guess, of what, what we're speaking about today, um, you know, the truth can be really scary sometimes um, for lots of different reasons. It could be, you know, because, you know, they don't want to get in trouble, but it can also be because what that then means, um, you know, for younger children, they may not understand the processes that come after sort of, I guess, having that disclosure around sexual abuse. But for, you know, older teenagers, um, you know, they they probably know, they probably have seen the process in the news or, you know, perhaps have a friend that's gone through the same thing and they know that, you know, once they do disclose, that you know life changes and it can be you know a bit of a bumpy road from that point onwards so being really respectful of of that boundary but also holding that space of hey you know when you're ready if you're ready I'm here I'm you know open to hearing what you have to say and I think as well being really mindful of the language around nothing you say will shock me now that might sound a bit weird because you know of course if your child came and said this was happening you would be shocked but sometimes that reaction can actually cause fear in children so being really mindful, like, hey, I'm here to hear whatever you have to say. You're safe to tell me and, you know, nothing you say with all the words that you use will not get you in trouble and won't be shocking. You know, if you decide to use the word vagina, you know, mum or dad are not going to be shocked that you use that, you use that word or even, you know, swear words as well because um, we know that they're words that can sometimes be used in those events. Um, so just, yeah, really holding that space and allowing children to come to you, you know, when they're ready. But if you're noticing, you know, perhaps some some signs that there's something going on, you know, allowing allowing that conversation to be opened as well. Mm. And just in terms of as well having those kind of family rules, another thing that can be important to talk about with your kids is that it's fine for them to touch their penis and their vagina. Mm-hmm. That's great. They can touch yep. it, but they touch it in private, on their own, when they're children, like yep. when your children 
you will never don't that just encouraging them to understand that that's completely fine to touch their own body parts and to do mm-hmm. it in private. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's something that, um, or I know that a lot of parents come to me and go, oh my God, you know, my child's doing this. Does this mean that they've been abused or things like that? And you know, what we know, I guess, and what, what I teach the parents is that, you know, there are certain traffic lights for, you know, child exploration around, you know, their genitals and things like that. Um, you know, so, so kids will, they will touch it and poke it and prod it and try to work out what it does and what it does pull and, it. Does and things like that. Pull it. Yep, absolutely. You know, shove their hand down their pants when they're watching, you know, cartoons and the TV, all that stuff, you know, like, and that's, that's really normal. And, you know, from a, about the age or just before children go through puberty, which we know is a bit different for girls and boys, but that's all about sort of sensation seeking. So it's not necessarily sexual. I mean, adults, we tend to sort of categorise anything to do with genitals as sexual, but it's just really explorative. You know, it is really just, they're just trying to work out, you know, what what's there. And sometimes by doing that, it will feel good to them, you know, and that's okay. But it's about the education around, you know, when it's appropriate to do it and really clear boundaries about, you know, that you don't do it to anybody else. That's the really big indicator because, you know, I know that you hear stories about, you know, kids in the sandbox and, you know, they'll pull their pants down and have a look at, you know, and compare a contrast sort of what they've got. But really, you know, educating that, hey, you know, there's an appropriate time to, to ask rather than show, I think it's really important. Mm, so important. And then the other one that we touched on a little earlier as well is just, and I wanted to circle back to it because I think it's a big one, mm-hmm. is that we respect our children when they do not want to give away physical affection. So we don't say to our kids, give Auntie Sarah a big kiss. Give, you know, go and sit on your grandpa's lap. Go and, you know, whatever it is. If they're not doing that freely and because they want to, we Mm -hmm. do not, as parents, force it. And I think sometimes parents get confused between wanting to teach their children good manners so they mm-hmm. might want to teach their kids it's good manners to hug someone hello or give someone a kiss hello or yeah. and also we don't want to offend anyone but yeah. as parents I think that it's so important that we just don't worry about offending other adults yeah. and we just teach our kids that however they want to greet someone it doesn't have to be physical it's okay if they say hi and give a wave rather yeah. than a hug and a kiss absolutely and I think you know, I mean, I guess we, we all try to navigate parenting without offending anyone, but I think probably, you know, you on social media will probably know that everything you do is probably going to offend someone in some way. And I think it's really sticking true to your values as a parent and being okay with that, being saying like, hey, I'm putting in this boundary for my child because I think it's really important. And naming that in front of your child as well, you know, having that consistent messaging of, hey, this message is important because of X, Y, and Z, because, you know, parenting is about modelling and you've got to be the person to model that that confidence and that okayness to put in that boundary. Because saying to another adult, you know, as an adult saying, hey, I'm not comfortable with that is just as important as your child saying, hey, mum, I'm not comfortable with that as well. Mm. So, yeah. And I think a lot of parents too, well, I've definitely seen this in real life, if their child doesn't give someone a hug or a kiss, they might then encourage that child to feel bad about it. Like, mm, oh, mm-hmm. look, you know, Johnny's going to cry if you don't give him a kiss or a parent will go, Wah! like I want, you know, mm-hmm. not a parent, but someone else might act, you know, put that over dramatic sad face on or slump their mm-hmm. body forward and be like, oh, I really wanted a hug or a kiss. And I get that that can be lighthearted, but I just don't think that it's necessary. 
No. And I think, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, I, I won't speak about the ins and outs, I guess, of what I do as a job, but if there's something I've not, I've, I've noticed and the sort of repeat pattern, I guess, of the information that I have is around, you know, there is a lot of guilt and a lot of pressure for children to do things in situations they don't want to do, especially around sexual abuse. So, you know, and adults do will guilt a child because of that. And we know that children want to, you know, generally children want to please. please. That's what they want to do. And so when we're coming from a space of, hey, I'm going to guilt you in order to, for you to do something that you don't want to do, I just don't think it's appropriate, I guess, in any, in any circumstance, but especially around physical contact, because, you know, as you can imagine, I'm sure as, as the dots have already been drawn, drawn for lots of listeners, that it, it just, you know, it doesn't send a good message to our kids. Mm, absolutely. I love that little boundary. And the last thing that I wanted to touch on with you, Georgia, is as parents, how can we know some signs that something could be off, such yeah. as, you know, you touched on if we, if our child starts to use a different name for their genitals, that can be a yeah. big indicator. But what Absolutely. are some other things to be mindful of? I think as parents, we, you know, we, we know our children best. You know, we know their little quirks. We know them in and out. And, you know, we, I guess lots of parents know when they're, when kids are just off, you know, we know when they're sick or perhaps they're teething or whatever, whatever that might look like. I guess when it comes specifically to sexual abuse or even grooming behaviour, which often, you know, happens for a longer period of time than generally the actual incidences of sexual abuse, which is, you know, that's a whole other topic, but um, is looking at, you know, really sudden changes in your child's behavior you know are they you know did they used to love this person and now they've they've got those sort of body signs that say they're really uncomfortable um you know things like soiling um is really can be a really big red flag so you know if you're you know toilet training and stuff kids going to have accidents that's really normal that's really normal part of that process but you know consistent soiling um at times where other other times they wouldn't do that um can be a red flag um, language and things like that. So around, you know, do they have different names for body parts? Um, are there different games that they're that they're seeking out? You know, are they talking about, oh, can we play, you know, X, Y, and Z? Is that a new game? And um, I guess another thing is also watching um, the dynamics between them and other children. So, you know, what we know, I guess, is a child, if it's happening to them, generally they try to seek it out or try to sort of work out what it looks like to another child. You know, we know that that happens in very normal, innocent play as well. Um, so looking at, you know, is your child actually trying to um, repeat sensations on another child? Again, that may just be a very normal sensation seeking, but just really pulling that up and sort of putting in those boundaries and exploring that's important. Um, another one can be, I guess, changes in sleep patterns, um, changes in eating patterns. Um, if your child's at school age, you know, really different and dramatic changes in the classroom um, are all the general indicators of, hey, there might be something happening. And I guess it's it's really tricky because what we know about children and as they develop and, you know, head into teens and, you know, adulthood and stuff is they go through challenges and changes and behavioural changes as well. Um, and there are some, you know, things that may be indicative of, I don't know, perhaps anxiety that may also sort of pair up with some of these things that we see red flags around sexual abuse. So, you know, toileting problems, not sleeping, not eating, all that stuff. But I think noticing these signs and then having a conversation is really important. And then obviously, you know, given the content of those conversations and things like that, then, you know, going where you need to go and seeking sort of extra support. Um, so they're generally the big ones. But, you know, as I said, 
um, and what we know is children are also different. So there may be children that show those really intense signs of, hey, there's something really wrong. And there may be children that don't show any symptoms or signs at all. So it's it's tricky, but generally, yeah, they're, they're, they're sort of the, the most common ones that we see. Mm, absolutely. And as you said, acting out with other kids or trying to create that dynamic again is a big one. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. also to recreating that dynamic with their toys as well. Yeah. Yep, if you're watching your, your kids play and all of a sudden they're acting something out with their toys that they've never acted out before, that can be something to be mindful of. And yep. like you said, these are all quite broad symptoms, you know, mm-hmm. sleep disruptions, toileting regressions. So say your child is going through, you know, one or all of those symptoms, it certainly doesn't mean that anything has happened, but no. it's just looking at the bigger picture and, yep. you know, going, okay, have they perhaps been on a sleepover recently is has there been a chance that something could happen and how could I explore that with them and I guess when it comes to the fact you know that statistic that you shared with us surrounding the percentage of how much more likely it is that a predator would be someone that the family Mm -hmm. knows what are some signs parents can look for there yeah um, I mean, look, it, it is really tricky. I mean, I guess there isn't really, you know, it sounds awful, but there isn't a handbook on how to perpetrate against children. So the tools and things that people use are, are different, but I guess they all hold similar characteristics. Um, so I guess they include, you know, being really touchy-feely, you know, so being really seeking out, you know, inappropriate opportunities guess, to be alone. Absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, it might be like, oh, you know, go go down to the shops or go off for an hour while, you know, I'll just stay at home with blah, blah. Um, so, you know, some of that stuff can be a bit of a, a, bit of a question mark. Um, you know, the really physical games as well. So, you know, the, the touching, feeling, tickling, sitting on laps, you know, all that stuff, you know, playing doctors or, you know, whatever else, that can be, re- you know, a bit of a question mark as well. Um, also, I guess, yeah, the real focus, you know what I mean? So the conversations that, that they may have with, with another adult or with the parent or, you know, the caregiver um, is really focused on the child and only the child. So any conversations may be around what the child's doing, seeing, acting, behaving, things like that. Um, I guess, you know, it's, yeah, they're generally the the ones that we see, um, but it can be different depending on who, who it is. And, um, you know, I guess we... I mean, I guess statistics tell us that 90% of of perpetrators' sexual abuse are men. Um, But, you know, statistics like that, we only can study what we know and what we do know about sexual abuse in all aspects, whether it's children or or through adulthood, is that it is underreported and especially underreported for male victims or survivors. Um, So, you know, the, the stats that we say do do suggest that, that males are the biggest perpetrators, but we do know that there are female perpetrators as well. Um, and so it's just being mindful that, you know, that not all perpetrators are going to be males and that there may be females that are doing it as well. And, you know, I guess what we do know as well is that um, traditionally we, you know, if we look at, um, I guess, childcare and, and education and things like that, we do know that they're pretty female driven. Um, so looking at, you know, why there is that percentage there that that females offend isn't opportunistic Um, and what we know is that I guess there are two categories really of perpetrators the opportunistic ones so it's just you know there's a time and a place and an opportunity to do it or access to the child um, or someone who really is sort of sexually attracted to children and you know what people might find surprising is that the people who are actually sexually attracted to children are in the minority of the people who actually offend 
um so yeah just being really that mindful of that stuff yeah it is, yeah it is hard to know like you said with all the stats and I find the statistics so interesting but mm. you also have to look at them very broadly because yeah. just like statistics when it comes to all sorts of things you know mental health conditions everything mm. there is so many things that are underreported or under you know just not confirmed yep. and not taken into consideration so the statistic whilst they can give us the tip of the iceberg they don't give us the whole picture and Absolutely. like you said being mindful that yes typically a perpetrator is a male but that doesn't mean that that's only the type of perpetrator that there is out there yeah. and like you said the oppor- the opportunists that are just in the situation um and have that chance to access your child but mm-hmm. I think when it comes to someone grooming your child it's being mindful of anyone who like you said comes in to the family unit takes a really big concentrated um I guess interest in mm-hmm. a child and tries to carve out those chances to have them alone. So it's, you know, particularly for p- parents that might be a one-parent family. And so say you're mm. a single parent and someone comes in and all of a sudden they're saying, oh, let me drop Johnny and Sarah to school or they can come to my house or I've bought this PlayStation. And, yes, of course, there are people that just genuinely love kids and want to help Absolutely. and do the right thing. But yeah. just being mindful that like mm. we're trying to teach our kids, the villains aren't turning up with the dramatic music. Yep. <laughs> you know, they look like yep. just an everyday person, which is the yeah. scariest part. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you know, it's, you know, I know that there's something that I have to sort of check myself each day with what I do is that the world's not all bad. You know, there are some really amazing, beautiful, mm-hmm. genuine people that, that do want to help that don't have any ulterior motives and all that stuff. But I think it's just having the back of the mind, I guess, you know, Rick factors. And it's I know it's something that you say, Kylie, like when you know better, you do better. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, any parent is responsible if, if, if this were to happen to their child and, you know, that they should be held accountable. But it's just being aware, I guess, it just in relation to safety, you know, just educating the child. And as I said, it's not just for them now but it does feed into as they sort of grow and mature and do sort of seek out you know sexual consensual relationships as as adults um it's just really important to start that and I guess if we look at the statistics that we have now about men being the majority of the perpetrators it just really feeds into the idea that you know we really need to be having these conversations with our boys you know the focus traditionally has been around women and and the responsibility for their their safety especially around sexual abuse and how they you know perhaps are to blame and what they could have done differently and things like that but really having these conversations with our with our little men and our little boys in our lives as well being like hey what's appropriate what's not allowing them to understand the difference between yes and no and things like that in all aspects but especially around you know physical contacts really important ultimately I think one of the things that you said is that this is the abuse is the sort of thing that breeds in secrecy so the more open that we can be as a family unit and having mm-hmm. these dialogues, the more important um, that is. So Absolutely. thank you so much for sharing your knowledge okay, on no the worries. topic. And no I just wanted to take this chance as well to say that I'm so proud of the work that you are out there doing. <laughs> thank I you. mean, my little my little heart broke when you left us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Georgia and I have this thing, I'll often send her a screenshot of that Jordan Sparks song, No Air. <laughs> Because when she left, I was like, that is my song to her because you are just, you're such an amazing human. And of course, we can't go into all that you do publicly, but 
the conversations you and I have had, I'm so proud of what you're doing. You're doing really big, important work and I'm grateful for it. So thank you. Thank you so much. It's, um, I don't think it's a job that you, that you go into to be thanked for, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's so important and it, and it does start, you know, it starts at home. So, yeah. Mm, awesome. And now to end on something a little bit lighter, and because I know that there are so many members of our community <laughs> who still love and care about you, Georgia. I still, every time I put a bloody Instagram question, you know, ask me anything up, someone will say, yeah. how's Georgia going? Oh, I'm like, yeah. or, you know, do you still speak to Georgia? And I'm like, I will forever speak to Georgia. Um, <laughs> forever. And so, you know, you were such an integral part of our business from the beginning. And so many people have a bond with you from when you were managing our online forums and so for those listeners and just for people who would like to get to know you a little bit more I would love to end today's chat with our rapid fire round of questions so that people can get to know you a bit better (laughs) are you okay with that yep hit me (laughs) hit me okay let's end on a lighter note all right so what is your standard go-to cafe order Oh, that's a good one. I love an iced latte, um, very much an iced latte kind of girl. And I do love like a hash brown egg Ooh. kind of combo. Yep. Love yep. that. And so would you say that you are a sweet or savoury person? Definitely savoury. I would eat a bowl of pasta over a block of chocolate any day of the week. <laughs> yeah, see, I just don't get that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's that's foreign to me um now how would you describe your daily style or your uniform oh that's I mean I think with with the job that I do I you know having clothes shoes and and wear jeans and stuff but generally pretty pretty casual I think yeah I don't know that's yeah. an interesting you're, question actually you're kind yeah. of more of a minimal stylist aren't you like yeah. you always look yeah. great but you always just go for like your jeans your cute flats and your cute tee yeah absolutely love that and what is your worst habit I guess it would depend who you ask um <laughs> my worst habit I actually think it's ask probably, Ash yeah <laughs> He, he would be able to tell you. Um, no, but I think I think my worst habit is probably overthinking. Now, it can be a really great thing to have, but sometimes there are things that just don't need to be given thought and I tend to give them lots of thinking and therefore have lots of questions and that bothers people. So that's, I reckon that's probably it. Mm, I think a lot of us have that habit. Yeah. Now, what would be your best habit? Oh, um oh that's a good one I don't actually know I I mean I like to think that I am caring I like to think that that's that's a real sort of pillar for for who I am um and so I guess sort of branching out from that I guess really caring about other people and I guess you know the impacts that what I say and do have on have on others and being mindful of that I suppose 
I would agree with that 100%. I was going to jump in. I was like, nope, I'm going to let the silence do the work. I'm going to force you to think of the best habit because I could have jumped in with a thousand. I was like, you're really good at ticking tasks off. You're really, really efficient. You're a self-starter. I was going to list them for you. I was like, no, I'm going to make her uncomfortable. She has to. She has to choose something. Oh, I is, love it's that a good opportunity to to think because I guess we don't we're not really posed with those questions of what you do what you do well or you know so that's no yeah, that's and we need good. to focus on that more absolutely. Um, so I love that. Now, what is a favorite book of yours or a book that you would recommend? When I was younger, I loved the Jodie Picoult series so she was the one Mm. that wrote my sister's keeper so those real gut-wrenching um you know I really loved those have a cry books yeah have have a cry have a good sob feel all the feels yeah I'm really into the the moment anything to do with crime actually um love a good crime podcast love a good crime book but the book I've most recently um read was um the one written by Barack Obama I think it was called my father um, really, really interesting. So that would be my, yeah, my recommendation. Okay. And you mentioned, hasn't, hasn't read it. you mentioned crime podcasts, which is yes. my next question. What's something yeah. you're currently listening to? I love, um, I actually, I mean, it's not a crime podcast. I love Australian birth stories. Um, I, I mean, I guess that sort of feeds into to my studies at the moment, but I absolutely love that. I love adore hearing other women talk about their experiences in birth. Um, I also love listening um, to Case File, which is a crime podcast. Yes. Um, and Australian crime <laughs> stories as well are probably my three on rotation. I think I've listened to every single podcast yep. on Case File. Although I yep. have to admit, since living alone, there are some <laughs> that I choose to not listen yep. to. The yep. ones that say like, on, you know, May 17th, 1997, <laughs> Joni was upstairs sleeping alone. I'm like, no, that is a well, hard I, no. Yeah, my partner doesn't quite understand why I do what I do or do for work and then get in the car and listen to, you know, crime podcasts. But I, I really just enjoy it. And I think it's the psychology behind, behind it that really gets me. But, yeah, I just I love it. Mm, and I think, too, it's such an escape. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It is. Yeah. And so is there anything that you're watching right now? Any series that you're really into? Um, I was watching One Born Every Minute, the Australian birth. Oh, my God. Absol- I know. I love it. Everything birth <laughs> I'm obsessed with at the moment. Ash, not, you know, my partner, not the same, but I really love that. Um, otherwise, Better Call given, Souls. I was going to say, given the current one. state of everything that's going mm. on and the hospital situation, you might yeah. be needing to put those skills into practice really <laughs> quickly. Well, that's it. There's a couple of people at my work who are pregnant that said, oh, it's all right, we've got Georgia if we need. If we need. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> She's well-versed. Wow. Um, And then another question I had is what keeps you aligned each day? Um, I mean, I'm really into sort of meditation. Like I have my sort of headspace app. Um, So I like to do that sort of, you know, first of the morning to really sort of get me in the mood. And I guess an impact on me for the job that I do is around sort of anxiety and really sort of absorbing some of the things we hear and see. Um, so really allowing a space to sort of process through that but um, you know I guess as soppy as it sounds it's really my stepdaughter she really aligns me in in everything that I do and yeah really important part I guess she's a little ray of sunshine she is she is 
And last but not least, the question that I would like to ask you is, what do you do for fun? Because I feel like as women, we just let fun go completely by the wayside Mm. as we become adults. We're doing all of the things, the caring, the nurturing, the organizing, the doing, but not so much actually seeking out fun. Mm. And I've shared this a couple of times, but, you know, I I believe I sent you a text message asking you about fun. And I sent that to all the women in my phone and so many women had to say pass. They didn't know what to do for fun. And then yep. when I said it to all the men in my phone, yeah, they were like, I, we do surfing, boating. Mm. Like they had all the answers on fun. Yep. So what do you do for pure fun for yourself and how often do you get to do it? You know what's funny is after you sent that text message, it's been the one thing that's been riding around my little brain that I'm like, I really need to find something that I do just for fun, just because I enjoy the experience and the process. Mm. I mean, I, I mean, you know me, I, you know, I really enjoy sort of podcasts and sort of learning, like learning for me is a big thing. Um, hence, you know, the million things I'm doing at the moment. Um, but I think for me at the moment, what I do for fun is really just 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 being and I know that sounds really silly but I just really enjoy just being you know watching a good tv show you know playing with my stepdaughter you know playing a board game just just being and being mindful I guess of the time and the energy that I use and yeah just recouping I guess from the week week that has been so yeah but Mm. I'm working on it I'm gonna find something that I really just that that's for me I'm glad that it's been rattling around your head because it's one that it's something that I have been so mindful of mm. because I want the kids to learn that fun yeah. is really important to have and seek. But then yeah. as women, it can be really hard mm. to find the fun. So, yeah, finding the fun in the everyday is a big one. And I can imagine for you, because you do have so many tabs open and you are in such a serious world, that just that chance to escape and just be with your beautiful stepdaughter or to just mm. be and not do yeah. is fun for you I can imagine because yeah. I know you and I know you're <laughs> yeah. a doer by nature <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well thank you again so much for having this conversation no and I hope that for those who are listening there's been at least one or two things that you've been able to take from this chat that will stay with you and you know help keep you and your family safe so thank you very much for listening Thank you so much for having me. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm.